Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Sam Monson here. Not flying solo. Steve isn't in, though, so we've drafted in Seth Galina, um, who is the host of the PFF College Football Podcast, but also, you know, noted quarterback, uh, guru, former coach, right? That's that's your background. You're into, you, you came from the coaching ranks. Yeah, I came from the coaching ranks. I played receiver in, um, in high school, and then I coached quarterback for 10 years. And now I'm playing quarterback in a flag football league and uh, it's not going very well. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if like noted quarterback guru is the right word, considering how, all the interceptions that I've been throwing this this summer. Well, that's just research, right? You got to throw all the interceptions. You got to make the mistakes. so You understand, you know, where where the, the pitfalls lie. And then you can coach people to not do that. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Well, it's like the Tua thing from like last month in like OTAs right. when he threw like a thousand interceptions in uh, in like one practice. And I used to tell my, I used to tell the kids that all the time. Like, hey, like I I want you to throw interceptions now because you got to learn what the issues are. Um, unfortunately, my issue is that I'm throwing them in games. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're losing, and it's not good. Do I mean that was a that was a story a couple of years ago with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like Mahomes and one. Uh, preseason and one um, training camp was just throwing interceptions left, right, and center, and they were telling people, like, look, we are specifically trying to do this. We are pushing the boundaries. We are seeing where the limit is. Like, don't panic. This is intentional. This is, like, design. Panic if it happens in the regular season. And then, obviously, Mahomes goes out there and has, like, an MVP-level season, looks like a savant, doesn't make mistakes anywhere, and uh, suddenly, you know, the preseason hysteria is is silly yeah and and i think that's you just have to learn that way um just throwing um easy passes 
you know, just like going into practice and checking the ball down. Like I watch the senior bowl quarterbacks every year. And the thing that always bothers me is it's like they get like three hours of NFL coaching when you when they get to Mobile on like Monday afternoon. And then by Tuesday morning at practice, all they're doing is checking the ball down. And it's like, look, guys, like it's and I, I get it. Like, I think they're trying <laughs> to impress people who are going to be picking them and giving them lots of money. I understand that. But it's like, hey, let's let's see if you can like do stuff like let's see if you can make some difficult throws and and because that's what we need in today's nfl i mean it's not really the check down game anymore that maybe it was uh you know between like 1995 and 2010 or whatever so like i just look at that and i'm like yeah make make all these mistakes in practice like do all that stuff figure out timing figure out um you know defenders hip angles and the closing speed and all that stuff and and how you can manipulate them and and, and do that in practice throw all the picks you want and then by September you're you're good to go like like Patrick Mahomes I, I don't know if that's going to happen with Tua right I don't think we're ready to say anything like that but uh, hopefully it does but I think I, I do think it's it's a smart approach to take like Tua's biggest problem last year was a lack of aggression a lack of big plays a lack of you know actually attacking defenses so if you're going to fix that you might as well try and go all the way to the other extreme and then dial it back rather than just hope it materializes out of nowhere so whether or not it works and he becomes Patrick Mahomes I think it's the smart thing to be doing right now um you and I so you know we're in the content business now right PFF we put out information we put out analysis we try and come up with some takes every now and again and you know the more declarative and the more takey the thing you have to say is the better it performs right people like to read that kind of thing that's why Stephen a smith's over there earning eight million dollars for talking crap um and skip bayless is you know still a thing so what i like is that you and i each have one massive reason to be beaten over the head with right for me it was declaring tom brady no longer on the mount rushmore of quarterbacks about six years ago uh, and for you, it's Justin Herbert can't play. And you're now getting dragged by the Chargers. <laughs> like the actual yeah. the official Chargers account drags that up every now and again and beats you over the head with it. So what I'm curious is, what, what did we screw up with Justin Herbert? Like where, where did that come from? And, and how, did, how did we miss that badly? I'm still trying to get royalty checks from the Chargers <laughs> social media account because I think they owe me for all the content I've given them. I, You know what? I think I've talked about this before, but one of the issues that I have, and I think a lot of people have this, but I'm just like set in my ways, is the way I evaluate quarterbacks is like it, it's it's a, a lot of personal preference there. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up, you know, I was like, I must have been like, 18 years old when the Saints, my favorite team, signed Drew Brees. So, you know, you watch every Drew Brees game. That's the type of quarterback that you're looking for in your life, right? That's the guy. So when I see these, these tall, big-arm quarterbacks who are making a lot of mistakes, not super accurate, you know, which is by the end of Herbert's college career, that's kind of what he was. And I was like, I just don't want to see it again because these guys often, I mean, a lot, most quarterbacks don't work out in the NFL. And, and it feels like to me, these, these are the type of quarterbacks that really don't work out. They don't work out loudly, I would say. Uh, so, you know, like Osweiler and Paxton Lynch and all these guys. So I was like, I, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not into it. I'm like really not into it. And I didn't, and I also just didn't feel like it was very good. And I think what's happened is like the arm talent is so a plus. Yeah that it's hard to ignore like the stuff that he can do 
kind of when his back's against the wall. You know, we saw it last year when his like grade and EPA per play under pressure are so significantly better than like anyone else basically ever. Um, because the arm is, can just get away with so much stuff. I think he threw the best throw that I saw last year, which is against Tampa Bay, to like Guyton, I believe, when he, they basically, they're on like their own 20 yard line. And they told the slot receiver on one side, just run to the back corner of the end zone. Like from your own 20, just keep running. Don't even stop, don't even look. Don't even have to even run around. Just run in a straight line to the back corner of the opposite, you know, the opposite side of the field. And Herbert like gets it to him in stride. And like, I, did, I, I guess I just didn't realize that the arm was that talented. Yeah. Um, and there's even one, I mean, I saw, I saw one where he's just throwing like a check down, but he's falling backwards under pressure and the arm is still able to get the ball you know, in stride to his receiver, just on a check down. But like that's stuff that you you don't see from like, I don't know, a guy that I would have liked, um, like Josh Rosen. That, right? that really surprised me with Herbert is when he started playing in the NFL, his arm to me looked immediately better. I mean, maybe it's just, just a product of, you know, sometimes that happens. Like there's weird instances where, guys just by changing uniform somehow look different in terms of size or shape and it's like what how what is going on there like herbert's arm looked better in the nfl than it ever did at college even though you know everyone acknowledged hey this is a guy who's got the physical tools he's got a big arm it was like yeah he's got a big arm but he's not in the josh allen patrick mahomes kind of conversation and as a rookie he kind of was like maybe not right there with those two, but like the very next step, like he was right behind those guys. I'm curious, and, and it's really interesting. The personal preference thing, I think, is a really good point because when we had Kurt Warner on the podcast, he was saying the same kind of thing. He's like, "Look, this is how I won. This is how I played the game. So this is kind of what I'm looking for when I'm evaluating quarterbacks." And obviously, you know, a guy like Lamar Jackson comes along, and, and you have to sort of evaluate him. Um, in the context of his skill set, but when it's close or when you're wavering, the guys you're going to gravitate towards are the guys that remind you of either you or you know how you were taught or the way you saw it as successful back in the day. And it's probably very difficult for guys who are sort of tasked with this as a job, um, you know, a job where their their livelihood rests on it. Right? If you screw it up, you're fired. Um, to break out of that mold and to genuinely evaluate everybody in on a level playing field and in, in in isolation i'm curious do you think that guys like patrick mahomes do you think he's changing the way everybody has to look at this now because i think there's a lot of like revisionist history with mahomes in particular of like why did why was he not the number one overall pick right you go back you watch his college tape all the same stuff we're seeing now is there, right? All this special level freakishness was all over his college tape. It's not like this is a shock to anybody. And there are people out there who had Mahomes as like, you know, by far and away the number one quarterback in that draft, a, a generational talent, blah, blah, blah. But there were people like that for basically every first round quarterback, right? You go back any year, pick any quarterback, you'll find a group of supporters that will ride or die with that guy and tell you he's the next you know, whoever, the next Hall of Famer. So that, I don't think, proves anything. But his tape did show all this stuff. The point was that, what about the in-structure stuff, right? What about when he has to just play within the framework of an NFL offense for most of the time? 
can he do that? And I think there was a, I think it's fair to have had that question mark, uh, which is a scary enough question mark, which, you know, will cause you to drop into wherever he was, number 11 overall. But do you think now that because he panned out and because Josh Allen has now panned out, there's now, you know, there's a trend now of if all you cared about was quarterback tools, you'd have a pretty good record in recent years. So should we start throwing out everything else, right? Should we just be focusing now on these guys that have the crazy tools who used to have this insane bust rate, uh, but suddenly all now don't? The, the one thing I'll say with Mahomes is that, and I don't, I just really don't like to, to compare him to anyone else because his stuff under in structure is like at an elite level that I don't think, I don't think any, it may not have been like that at Texas tech. And I, I'm like, my, my thing with him was, you know, I, I only watched the the broadcast tape with him when I, when he was coming out, this is in the the stone age for me as like a quarterback (laughs) watcher. Um, so you would see that stuff out of structure. And I'm, I'm and again, it goes back to the same thing. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you can run away from big 12, you know, the nose tackles or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen in the NFL. And that I've kind of changed my thinking of too, because the same with Lamar Jackson, where I was like, hey, yeah, clearly he's, he's this like unbelievable runner. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be as good in the NFL. And it kind of is. And the same with Mahomes out of structure. Like, it kind of is just as good in the yeah. NFL as it was in college. But with Mahomes, <laughs> he's like a savant in the pocket. Like, I don't think there's a lot of things that people don't realize is, is how smart he is in terms of going through progressions, in terms of, you know, anticipate his anticipation is out of control good. It's like the best, like, we've seen in, in, in a long time. Uh, so I think, like, with him – it's tough to, to for me to say like yes we need to go find all these like Patrick Mahomes types because there aren't any Patrick Mahomes types uh, th- because of how good he is in the pocket. There's always going to be a guy who can like kind of kind of move out of the pocket like you said. Josh Allen can make plays out of the pocket. Obviously he's a very good runner. Um, but even that man, even as I'm saying that, like I see stuff that they do out of the pocket that I don't see anyone else do. And like you'll have him. I remember this in the Saints game. Uh, when they played like week 12 in the Superdome or whatever it was, and he's rolling to his right. And, you know, normally when we teach a quarter, you know, receivers, when a quarterback scrambles, you're, you go to, I mean, like there's, there's some technicality, but in the end of the day, you're going towards where the, where the quarterback is scrambling. Right? right. And like, you know, players who are like short routes, they go deep players who are deep, come back short. And if you're on the backside of the play, you run across the field to get to in the quarterback's vision and I'm watching like Sammy Watkins or whoever it was. And he literally, so Mahomes is rolling to his right and Mah- and Sammy Watkins just literally stays on the left hash and Mahomes throws in the ball like that, that like we can't, like, I, I know we want everyone to be the next pastor Mahomes now. Like we wanted the next Tom Brady. We wanted the next Peyton Manning. We wanted the next Joe Montana, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, those guys just don't grow on trees. So yeah. there's the out of structure stuff and the in structure stuff. I mean, I talk about like the the Justin Herbert play against the Bucks being, you know, one of my favorite throws of the year, but I think my favorite like quarterbacking play of the year is uh, you know, 2 weeks prior in the AFC Championship game when Mahomes do you remember Mahomes throwing to Kelsey kind of over the middle of the field? Um I think maybe in must have been the first quarter, it might have been the second drive or something like that. And he actually pump fakes to Kelsey over the middle and then hits him a little later on uh, on like a deep crossing route 
And when I looked at the play, like I, I rewatched this play like a hundred times, you know, on, on the, on the coach's film after, because his anticipation of understanding the windows. So he actually wants to hit Kelsey in the first window and he's setting himself to throw that. And the ball is coming out. Like he's going to throw this football and Kelsey, usually th those two are on like, have like a telepathic communication, but in this play, they just didn't. And Kelsey never looks in the first window. So Mahomes kind of eats the ball and holds on to it, even though like, you know, Drew Brees used to do the same thing. Like he, he's ready to throw, he cocks the ball ready to throw. And then he just, he realizes the receiver's not ready. So he kind of eats it. And he's there in the first window and he's going to throw it before Kelsey even clears that window or clears the defender to get into the window. So now he's in kind of in panic mode, right? Your, your first read or your first idea is not there. So he looks to his left, moves the flat defender with his eyes and then comes back to Kelsey in the second window when Kelsey's ready for it. And I thought that was just such an insane play. And this is what he does on a weekly basis, his manipulation of defenders. You know, we talk about, you know, eye movement and stuff like that. Oh, look at him move defenders. And, and I think a lot of that with normal quarterbacks and even with the great quarterbacks of the past, I think there's a lot of we want to say that about the quarterbacks. Oh, look at them use their eyes. Look at them move defenders and stuff. But it was really just part of the normal progression of the pass concept. And it just it kind of looks like that. And it's not, not saying it's, they're not great plays or whatever. But with Mahomes, he is literally like staring in an opposite direction, knowing he's coming back to another spot on the field. You see that a lot um, uh, where he'll like on the short yardage plays or like uh, – I'll say like routes that like break inwards. Usually with quarterbacks, when you have routes that break inwards, you're reading the play inside out. This is kind of a general idea. It's not always the case. So you read it, you know, inside out. So, you know, the inside one to the second one to the third one inside out. And with Mahomes, you'll see him like take the snap and stare directly to an outside route, even though he knows he's going to come back to the inside run. So he's like kind of like breaking the structure that we teach quarterbacks to play in. And that only happens when you are so knowledgeable and so good and so smart at doing that stuff. So it's like I find it so hard to compare and be like, yeah, yeah. just find another Patrick Mahomes who and can those, run around and do all that stuff because he does so much more and he's so elite at that stuff. Like the stuff when, when people are talking about, oh, look at this incredible look, looking off defenders with his eyes, that became like – hey, it only applies to the, the deep safety, right? It's like he's looking out, he's keeping the safety somewhere, and then he comes back and hits that, and that's the, that's the big play. But really, like somebody that's really good at that is moving other positions. It's not, it's not the deep safety the whole time. Okay, that's nice, but that, as you say, it's, it's kind of become standard practice now, right? It's just part of what you do, and if you're going to hit that shot, you need to keep that safety out of the play. But the guys that are amazing at it are like Mahomes – work in everything else or there was a period where ben, ben roethlisberger was at his peak when he was such a pain in the ass to bring down in the pocket that he would understand that by moving by like shifting in the pocket he could move a linebacker somewhere because that linebacker suddenly had to think crap this 260 pound dude is about to rumble for 10 i'm gonna come up and hit him um, and he would like deliberately shift linebackers around by just moving himself a little bit in the pocket and threatening like he was going to run. Like those are the really sophisticated guys. Where and you know Aaron Rodgers resetting leverage of offensive linemen and that kind of thing by just bouncing around the pocket a little bit. That kind of freakishness is the stuff that is the real you know laudable, amazing quarterback stuff. And it's really really hard to find because 
it's automatically tiny sample size stuff, right? It just doesn't happen that often. So trying to find the situation in college that even shows you a guy's capable of doing that is really difficult. Um, and that I think is part of the problem when you're trying to find a Mahomes or whoever the next one of these guys is. It's just the situations you need to see to, to tell if they can even do that are so few and far between. It's really hard to identify. And, and I'll add, like you just, so we talked about Mahomes and then you added uh, Ben and, and Rogers, three different types of, of yeah. elite play, of like, of like cerebral play. So it's like, if you're going to look for this one particular thing, you might miss something else that he's doing because it's not just um, an ability to move a flat defender or it's not just an ability, like you said, for, for Rogers to like create good angles for his offensive line. There's so, so much more that you can be a lead at at the quarterback position. So I think that, but I, I, one of the things I will say is, you know, when, when I look at the college game and, and to a certain degree, the NFL game too, is as we throw, I don't know if this relates at all, but like as we kind of throw deeper and deeper and deeper, which is certainly happening in the college game, and I think it's coming to the NFL game because we're getting where do the college, where do the NFL quarterbacks come from? They come from college. Right. So like, you know, you're protecting with, you know, the spread era is kind of dead. It's kind of over. So now you're coming back and you're, you're bringing an H back back in you know, especially in college, and you're protecting with the running back and the tight end plus a five offensive lineman, and you're trying to throw these deep concepts off play action or not even, or something's not even off play action. So the quarterbacks know they have time in the pocket because they're so protected, and you're trying to throw these deep concepts because you know that explosive plays are going to win you games, and they're doing a really good job of using their eyes to manipulate defenders because they they have time right Mahomes obviously is is an example of, a, of another level because he's doing it on many other types of plays not just like the deep play action shots and stuff like that so but I think you're going to see quarterbacks come into the league with a lot more of that type of ability I, I I think so like I think of a guy like Matt Corral who's like a pretty good college quarterback but he does some of the stuff like that jared daigie from west virginia again a pretty good college quarterback does some of those type of things because they know they have time and space to to manipulate defenders especially deep down the field some of these quarterbacks have been talking about they're uh, amongst the best fantasy quarterbacks in the nfl and we're now offering 40 percent off any pff subscription to first-time subscribers with the promo code save 40 Get access to PFF's Fantasy Football Draft Guide, complete with our player rankings and projections. Uh, the College Football Preview Magazine that you were a big part of putting together. Um, first edition of the 2022 NFL Draft Guide. All of PFF's locked article content. That's promo code SAVE40 for 40% off any PFF subscription. Get access to all of PFF's fantasy tools for just $5.99. Look at that. I can, I can transition into an ad read. I don't need that Steve. That was incredible. Right? So smooth. Look at that. Between the ad read, look at the studio set up with like cushions and, and, a, and a curtain. This is like, this is how you podcast right here. Um, I'm, I'm interested though, when you were talking about those, uh, the, the trend being towards sort of more deep ball, more big play attacking. And I, you're starting to see now almost all of the top quarterbacks, obviously Brady being the perpetual exception. They're all like trending towards these guys that have this innate ability to hold on to the ball and to, you know, extend the play and to just keep things alive until they can hit that deep shot. Like Rodgers and Russell Wilson have always trended and skewed 
towards holding onto the ball and age. And they also have two of the best deep balls in the NFL and have since they've been around. But like Mahomes, obviously one of his things is is extending the play, is keeping it alive. And even even in like relatively quick concepts, like just dropping beyond the pocket, right? Just like it literally extending the the bit of the play that the ball is in his hands by just dropping back further than he's supposed to instead of taking like a seven step drop he's taking like an 11 step drop and just buying that extra time that he needs to put the ball in the air um i'm wondering like there's this weird thing now when it when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks and, and trying to find you know who are the next the the prototype is always cyclical right like just like the scheme is the we we go from heavy play action, keeping backs and tight ends into block and only a couple of receivers into patterns, pivot to like full spread systems. And now we're going to kind of swing back in the other direction. And it feels like the prototype for quarterback is the same thing. We, we vacillate between athletic guys that can scramble and, and extend the play and buy time in the pocket to like almost immobile statues that, that just sort of shimmy around in the pocket and flow towards the open space but within a very confined area like are we now are we going to enter that era where the thing you need you need to have that level of athleticism right if you are as much as tom brady is still one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl if you're looking for the next tom brady i you know mac jones if you're looking for that you're you're hitting you're looking for a really small target now because it's hard to survive unless you've got that ability to move around and buy time and extend the play. I think one of the issues is with the fact that if you get drafted in the first round or even somewhere in the second round, like you're going to play right away and you don't have all this, you know, everyone talks about like the, you know, since the last 10 years, the new CBA, there's no practice time, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're going to play at the quarterback position with a lack of practice time, you are going to be wrong. Like, you're going to look at a defense, you're going to think something is happening, and you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong a lot. So you better have the ability to, if you're wrong, and this could be in terms of, uh, you know, misreading a coverage, could be in terms of misreading a hot rod, could be in terms of not protecting yourself, you know, getting into the right protection so you don't have free rushes on you. So any one of those things that like you're going to be wrong about. So if you're wrong, you better have the athleticism to make a play because it's going to happen. And, and you know, the Mac Jones is a great example. Like, he never, in a sense, was never wrong at Alabama right. because <clears throat> they would protect with a lot of people, kind of like what I was talking about before. You know, and Sarkeesian did a great job of protecting and then allowing his receivers to get down the field and these deep play action crossers like crazy stuff that, that, yeah. that he was doing there so like yeah i think Mac jones is a great example of where and we're gonna see like well a he probably may not play this year right because i, I yeah I, i'm not i think cam newton is a better <clears throat> quarterback there i think that's probably true so but like yeah you need the ability to get outside the pocket and make a play when it's not there for you until you learn how to play in the nfl and that takes a lot of time, obviously. Um, I've been playing quarterback in my flag, my like division five Montreal, Quebec, Canada flag football league for like five years now, and I still don't get it. <laughs> so like playing the NFL must be really, really hard. Uh, <laughs> so like, yeah, like it, you need that this type of ability to 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 make plays outside of structure just be, just because, like I said, you're gonna be wrong. You also. And, like, 
Yeah, you, you need that ability as well to be able to make snap decisions and change your mind in a heartbeat without screwing it up. And I've been like, I've been, I've talked about this idea a few times on the podcast and it's such a, it's such a kind of ethereal concept that I'm struggling to even name it, but it, I think it, it is the key to all quarterback play. Like everybody tries to find a smart quarterback, right? And, and even not even just a smart quarterback, but like a football smart quarterback. So you start off with the Wonderlick test and you just want to find out if the guy's an idiot or not. And then you move on to like get him on the chalkboard and let's see if he knows football or not. But really what you're trying to find out is when the shit hits the fan and when you screw it up and like you said, you've you misread something and everything has changed and suddenly you now have half a second to figure out plan B, what happens, right? And that I think is a completely different part of the brain to all of those other things. And there are guys out there that are amazing at the first two who never have a shot at the third. And then there are guys the opposite, right? There are guys that aren't even smart, but somehow are like a savant when it comes to option three. When things go wrong, those guys, it, it's just innate. They just have this ability to know what plan B should be and react and not screw it up every time. And it's not, it's, it's, it crosses sports, right? It's a, it, it, things happen in different, like, Soccer, I think, is a good example of where this is obvious. There are certain players in soccer where no amount of like pressuring them causes problems. Like you can just you can, like Andrea Pirlo is the guy that that always got this. The like Italian maestro who a lot of people would never understand why he was good because when you watch him play, all he's doing is giving like a five yard pass a hundred times a game. You're like, how hard is that to do? But the point is, he's doing that. And it's always going to the right guy. And even when people are harrying him and causing, like trying to make him make mistakes, never happens. He's always able to just turn, give it to this guy, turn and, and evade the pressure. In the NFL for quarterbacks, it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's like when the pressure comes on, the ability you want is to find those guys where it doesn't cause problems. And they're able to make those snap decisions and snap adjustments and know when they should run, when they should buy time for a pass, when they should just get rid of it, all those kinds of things. And I, I think, I don't think that anybody yet has figured out how to isolate that and how to actually find that trait, which is the one that everybody's looking for. Uh, I'll add one of my favorite guys to watch in the same idea that you're talking about is Sergio Busquets. Yeah, like same you idea. Just can't can't get the ball off him, right? And he's always just and it's not like these unbelievable passes all the time. Obviously, both him and Pirlo and all those guys can make these crazy passes, but it's just like you know, creating, staying, keeping in rhythm, even though you're being hassled in whatever way. I think another thing that that people don't talk about is like accuracy after like when your feet aren't set. So what I mean by that is what's going to end up happening is there are going to be plays where, you know, you're reading, uh, you know, something high to low and it's not there. And now the pocket is collapsing and you still have to be able to make an accurate throw, even just if, even if it's just to a check down. And that is something that is really hard to do because we teach quarterbacks in, in these like perfect environments all the time where it's like, all right, take your drop back, set your feet for, you know, the post route and then reset them for the dig or whatever. And, you know, yeah, that's great when you don't have anyone around you, but all of a sudden people are coming around you and you're trying to move in the pocket and create space for yourself. Your feet are not always going to be in the right position. And, 
you know, Breeze was so good. It sucks to talk about him in, the, in like in a past <laughs> tense now. Uh, Breeze was so good at always setting his feet um, to the target. But most guys aren't like that. I mean, that's such a hard thing to do. I mean, I, we do drills and drills and drills on that stuff. So you're going to be in situations where your feet are not going to set. And, and that's not necessarily just being out of the pocket when you're on the move. I mean, like in the pocket, your feet are not going to be set and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to throw it, you know, uh, in, in weird body angles and still being able to get completions off of that or, or at least like non-negative plays off of that, I think is super important. That's really tough to, tough to coach and also tough to, again, like you're kind of saying, isolate and evaluate, like is someone good at that? It, it, are they not? Um, super tough, um, super tough thing to deal with. Yeah, I think I think another thing you talk about like stuff that spans other sports is just, and I think this is what we're talking about is adaptability. Yeah, you know, I, I think about going back to the soccer reference, and I think about when I watched Leo Messi. Yes, obviously the technique is like a plus in every single category. Like I get it for sure, hundred percent. But his ability to to adapt when something he thinks something is about to happen and it doesn't happen the way he, and he's still able to, again, the technique being able to hold the ball, like, like it's Velcro to his foot obviously helps, but like just being able to adapt and not like your brain doesn't malfunction when yeah. that happens. Because that, I know that because that's me, right? right when I same. play sports. That, that's like, exactly, that's exactly what it is. It's adaptability, but within like a really short time scale, right? Because the thing that separates those guys from regular humans is when things change, and it breaks down and you have to change your plan, most people seize up. Um, whereas those guys, it, they don't. For whatever reason, I don't know if like time passes more slowly for them mentally, but whatever it is, when that changes, they don't, it doesn't lock, they don't lock up. They're able to just, well, okay, if this changed, then the pathway is different. I just go to plan B. And it, it, what's weird is that like so you think it's just these like freak level athletes like Messi and you know Pirlo and Patrick Mahomes and like all these guys that are wizards at this but it like you see those people at lower levels as well and they're always really annoying because like you just again you can't fluster them I used to play like just pick up soccer with a guy that was like that like he wasn't better than anybody else <clears throat> but he had this trait where he was never pressured right no matter how much you you harried him he didn't have that lock up and panic thing. Whereas like, I'm the exact opposite. Like if I, if plan A goes the way it's supposed to, I'm okay. If I have to change and I have to go to plan B, it's like a complete seize. It just, it's, it ceases to function and I can't adapt on the fly. And though, like, I think Dan Marino is, is one of the best examples of this ever because, you know, I, like, I don't want to call Dan Marino a moron, but he's not amongst the smartest quarterbacks you're ever going to find, right? He's not Ryan Fitzpatrick. He didn't go to Harvard. He's not, you know, I don't know what his wonder lick was, but it wasn't 50 or whatever. Um, and even like, you know, when people would ask Dan Marino to explain the break, like break down a play, what went down here. And he, you know, he would just be like, I just, you know, I just, I just hit Mark. Like, what do you want from me? He was open. I threw it to him. Um, like he, whatever it was, he had that ability to just know how it worked and to figure it out and adjust and adapt and blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't like this, the, the X's and O's savant. Like, and then the opposite of that is like a Kirk Cousins, right? Who, when you listen to Kirk Cousins explain yeah. plays and break down things, my, my the, the guy, dude is Kirk smart Cousins. as hell. <laughs> yeah. But every now and again, like he just seizes and presses the wrong button and like kneels instead of spiking it or, or whatever, like the reverse, right? Like Kirk Cousins has the, like those are two ends of the, spectrum there's the 
the guy that just has it innately and yet can't really necessarily tell you why. And there's the dude that can tell you why all day long, but the second like it changes in front of him, he locks up a little bit. They said that Wayne Gretzky was like the worst coach that's ever lived. Uh, yeah, I think like, we're talking about like, like the greatest hockey player of all time, you know. And you know, he coached. I, I think it was a few years with like Arizona, and like the reports came after, like he doesn't know anything. And it's like, yeah, because he didn't know what the hell he was doing either. Michael on the Jordan ice. He was just a savant, he right? Michael Jordan's it. another one, right? Just doesn't understand why people around him can't be better. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's. Marino is funny. I, you know, I grew up a little after Marino, like watching him, obviously during his peak in the 80s and stuff. So what I do now, I'm such a loser. What I do now is like <laughs> before, each, before each of my flag games, I go on like NFL, the, the, the YouTube channel NFL Throwback, and I watch his like 20-minute highlight tape. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't realize what a, what a gunslinger he was. Yeah. Um, like he, like, like you're saying, he, he's, he wasn't like, like a Brady or a Marine uh, or, a, or a Manning per, per, like those type of guys. He was just a gunslinger, great pocket movement. He's like, he's like holding the ball, like down by his waist when guys are like throwing themselves at him and he's able to protect the ball. And then, and then his, his mechanics are superb. I, I think it's really cool. I mean, we don't have to get into a whole mechanics discussion, but I think it's really interesting when you go back and watch some of the older um, and Marino being like, like let's say Marino and, and before, when you go watch those guys who are who are at the top of the of, of you know quarterback profession, they're all doing stuff technically that we coach now and didn't we didn't coach back in the day. They just kind of got it right right from however they were brought up and whatever however they got there to their technique but it's all stuff that we coach now and it's interesting like oh of course this guy was a great quarterback because without even realizing it he was creating great you know hip you know hip chest this dissociation and and great torque and all that stuff blah blah blah, blah. and so I, I was like going back and watching those guys because they're doing stuff far kind of the same way um but like marino top top in terms of techniques didn't even realize it probably never got coached in a, in a good technical environment his whole life but was still able to to create just an unbelievable amount of force and torque to to throw the football there's some story somewhere i forget what it was exactly but like you know marino goes down as as like one of the fastest releases ever like yeah. his release is so compact and quick in the motion and it's like it's it's put up there as like, hey, this is the this is the goal. This is what you're trying to achieve with your throwing motion. This is the gold standard. And I, like, there's a story on how he did it. Like back when like his dad used to coach him in high school or something, and he just basically spent like an entire summer one day or an entire summer one year, um, basically just trying to make this motion as short as humanly possible, right? Just to eliminate all possible wasted motion until that was how he threw the ball. And then that became like this gold standard of, you know, NFL throwing mechanics. And it, yeah, it, it is interesting that those guys that just did it, that became like what you coach, right? Because Favre, Marino, these are two of the best throwers of the football of all time. Let's break down what they're doing mechanically and let's emulate, emulate it. Um, so uh, I, I, another point I want to make with that, have you seen um, Brad Johnson, his like Twitter videos? Some of them, yeah. I saw him do, like, some freaky basketball tricks. Right. Also, he's, like, the most jacked, like, old, goofy-looking <laughs> white guy I've ever seen in my life. Here's, like, 
go go and whoever's listening to this go find the brad johnson uh videos um he's throwing a football he's throwing a basketball whatever go look at how big his hands are yeah and it's like oh yeah of course you made it to the nfl because that's like like you have you're kind of a freak athlete in that sense and it's always funny to think about like even guys like brad johnson i mean yeah okay this super bowl whatever but like you know we won't go down in history as like one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time but like you need even to just get into the NFL, yeah. you need it's something insane. that is that is I make, on another level. I make this point about receivers all the time, right? Like I, you know, I played receiver and then moved to defensive bank in the Irish league, and like, so my I get the idea that whatever you know, um, mental coaching and all that kind of stuff, and self belief and visualization, all that kind of stuff. I suspect I was terrible at that um, because I never had particularly good confidence in my own hands, like, and yet by the standard of people around me, I, I could catch, right? But it always irritated me that I would drop passes every now and again. And, and I found it a lot easier to catch balls that weren't intended for me than ones that were, right? So you go to corner and suddenly nobody's throwing at you, but you can catch the ball. So it's, it's way easier. Um, but part of it is like, I have pretty small hands. Like Larry Fitzgerald's hands are literally like twice the size of mine in terms of like, catch radius that dude should never drop a pass like his statistic of like more tackles in his life than drops in the nfl he should be like that the dude has like dish plates for hands that like just the amount of surface area you're aiming for when a pass comes towards larry fitzgerald is insane like and and almost all these guys are like that like brett Favre, if you look at a close-up of him holding a football like his little finger is like almost at the end of the ball it's like the ball fits in his hand it's ridiculous. Yeah, and like that that is such a big deal. Like I have to use I have to use these like, you know, plastic, you know, fake footballs when I throw. And I see other guys like even in the fly football league that I play in use and remember I'm in Canada, so our balls are even bigger and they're using those balls. I just can't use them. Like right. I can't. And that's and honestly that that's really why I have to blame my parents <laughs> why I'm not playing in the NFL. Right. right that's now. it. That's uh, the reason. That's exactly it. Um, PFF is partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. The stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts. And NFL free agency is still theoretically going on. So whoever lands a top-of-the-market player will be sure to see their team stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. Insane value. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. Um, that was um, the first one was a 10 on 10. That was like a seven on 10. Yeah, no, it wasn't as good. There, there wasn't a neat enough transition. So I just I went in with it. Right. And I was like, look, the ad readers do. I don't have a neat transition. So I'm just going to jump in and that will be the transition. There's no there's no neat segue. Sometimes you just have to play like this is this is the thing. Right. Sometimes you just have to play it as it lies. It wasn't great, but I, I rolled with it. Um, I want to pivot into this Matthew Stafford stuff right now. Uh. Uh, the hype for Matthew Stafford appears to be getting just uncontrollable. It's uncontrollable. And it's not like this is a hundred percent new. It isn't just Matthew Stafford plus Sean McVay equals, you know, party time. 
there's always been this group of Matthew Stafford supporters that don't care that he's never actually played at this superstar all-pro level that just see cannon for an arm, freaky sidearm ability, you know, toughness, durability, fourth quarter comebacks, you know, all the things you want to see in a quarterback and just say the difference between him and Mahomes is the Lions, right? And that's, I'm prepared to roll with that as a concept. And now that he's with Sean McVay, we're going to change that. Like that's the difference right there. So ergo, he is Patrick Mahomes until proven otherwise. Look, I watched, you watch Stafford and you're like, this is the best quarterback I've ever seen. Why isn't it better though? Like, why isn't this? Why isn't the output better? Though? Yes, he does stuff. He he's 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 a sick in the head individual, like throwing these passes that no one else tries to do. And you're like, you love it. You love watching it. Like you said, all all that all that intangible stuff, like toughness and durability, and the fourth quarter comebacks and all that great stuff, it, it is amazing to watch. He's super fun because he tries all sorts of ludicrous passes. But then, like, why isn't he a, a consensus top 10 quarterback uh, in his, like, 10 years in the NFL? Right. Um, besides, apparently, this year, because he got traded. Um, which, yeah, I agree. It doesn't really make much sense. I'm excited for it. Sure. Like, because I think it's a great pairing. Well, I think and it, I, it finally answers the thing. question, right? Like, it, it, if nothing else, it gives you the answer to those people that have spent the last 10 years saying the reason Stafford isn't seen in the same light as Aaron Rodgers is the Detroit Lions. Now you're going to find out if that's true or not. And if it is, fair play to those people. They saw something that the rest of us weren't quite buying into. But if it isn't, <laughs> if Matthew Stafford remains inconsistent and not always the Matthew Stafford that you see in glimpses, then you need to come up with something else and figure out why he hasn't been at this level. Like, I think Stafford is this great advertisement for like PFF grades, which is, look, if you, if the way your mind works in terms of like a highlight reel, right? Tossing out the kind of gray area in between and just remembering the good and the bad, you would easily think that Matthew Stafford is right up there with Aaron Rodgers. And, but clearly he isn't, right? Like even just box score numbers, it's not like he's been bereft of receiving weapons. The dude had Megatron for half of his life. Yeah, exactly. Like he's had good pass protection most of his career. Okay, hasn't had a great run game, but we're learning more and more how inconsequential that is to like quarterback play. He hasn't had a good defense, which is almost entirely irrelevant to quarterback play. For example, look at Peyton Manning. It never harmed him. I mean, it did in terms of like he didn't win five Super Bowls, but it never stopped him looking like Peyton Manning. So like... But you put your PFF grade is you're you're grading every single one of these plays and you get the totality of it. You don't get like the potential or the the sum of the sort of flashy plays. You get what he did for the entire and every time you do that for Stafford, he ends up below where you think he should be. And I I mean that's that's not like a coincidence or it's not a break in the system. It's we are counting the things that you're tossing out as they don't really matter. I think for me with Stafford, it's, I think it's the accuracy. I think there's down to down accuracy. It's just not good because I, I don't think he makes bad decisions. Um, you know, he's not throwing the ball into harm's way a lot. You know, he's not like throwing the ball underneath to like a, a linebacker or something like that. I'm pretty sure his turnover worthy play rate over the last few years has been, has dropped significantly. And it's like, yeah, if you, if you allow a guy with that type of talent, and this might happen to Justin Herbert, like you allow a guy with that type of arm talent 
to to play in the NFL for 10 years, like they're going to figure it out um, for the most part. Um, so I think it's just I think it's just like really a, an accuracy thing because, yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, man, this is a this is a great like he's doing. Oh, my God. Like he's like looking front side and it's not there and the pockets collapsing and he's like able to like reset his feet and come to like a backside dig and then he overthrows it. And you're like, oh man, like it's right there for you to make these plays consistently. And he's not able to do that. He might have the best play I saw from any quarterback last season. I, I had this on my Twitter somewhere. It's a, a touchdown, I think, or was it, did he, anyway, it was like, it was a Mahomes play, right? It was the no look thing where he's looking off to the right somewhere and then fires the ball right down the middle yeah. through a closing window of guys trying to stop it and hits a guy like in the hands. It's It was a Mahomes-level play, honestly better than any no-look Mahomes has had because the window he was hitting was so small. It was like his the, – the highlight reel for Matthew Stafford for his entire career – is the same as Aaron Rodgers. It's the same as Patrick Mahomes. It's the, it's the other stuff that is what separates him. And I just I don't think that moving to, to McVay's offense is going to make that difference. And one of the things I think that's important is that like this the the story of like, hey, this guy, this new coach has fixed Matthew Stafford. Like now we've got an offensive minded coach that meshes with him. It's Jim Bob Cooter, it's Daryl Bevel whoever like that story has been written like four or five times right and then it stops happening and we just forget about it and it's like oh that, that, that didn't really work out let's brush that under the carpet but like the, the common denominator is Stafford like these coaches didn't go from being oh this guy's found the key to Matthew Stafford to he lost it again like he didn't misplace the key clearly we just did like the thing we wrote six weeks ago wasn't really true he just went on a run of like three, four, five, six games where Matthew Stafford got the high end of his variance and we thought he was amazing because the good, like the baseline is pretty good. So if we get the high end of the roller coaster for a few weeks, we're going to think we're looking at Aaron Rodgers or, and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes and the like. Yeah, like that, I think that was like 2019 before the injury where everyone was like, right. uh-oh, if he didn't get injured, like there would have been. And it's like maybe we just saw the few games where he was at, at the top and it was going to regress back to normal Stafford, Staffordness. I, I will say like, so I think that he's not like a top 10 quarterback. Like I saw that the ESPN list had him as a, or like some certain people like that were- Somebody ranked him four. four. Yeah, like that. That's not that's not possible. But- I am excited to see what McVeigh can do. Like, I think even if he's not like the top five quarterback, and like even if he is somewhere between like ten and fifteen or something like that, I I do love Sean McVeigh's offense. And I'm like, okay, well, even if he is the thirteenth best quarterback, and like put him putting him with Sean McVeigh, yeah, when they've had success with Jared Goff, I'm excited to see that. And one of the things I looked up uh, that I couldn't believe, I, I'll have to like tweet this out because you have really have to see it to believe it but as you know as you know um we can look at kind of a heat map of where all the routes mm -hmm. of a team was run um which which is like illuminating in a lot of cases so i looked up stafford without play action without screens without rpos without all you know like from the pocket and where the routes were run last year for the Lions. And I looked the same thing up with, with Goff. And one of the reasons I did that is because I think what McVeigh is excited about is in these games 
where, you know, the defense is not at its elite self. The running game is not at its elite self. And we're going to have to drop back. Maybe we're down 14 nothing, and we're going to have to drop back and throw the ball 50-plus times. I don't, I don't want Goff yeah. as my quarterback doing that anymore. Like, so that's why I kind of looked at those settings. Because I think, you know, he'll, he'll, they'll find a way to, to create offense off play action, off the boots. Like, he's still, you know, defensive have done a lot better job against those type of plays. But it's McVay. He'll figure it out. But what you really want to see is, like, when it's not, like, handed to the quarterback, like, can he make better decisions than than what um what golf can so when you look at like these plays without play action without um screens etc what you see is the lions last year under daryl bevel throwing and putting routes all over the field because that's what stafford can do and when you look at golf you're looking at um five yards and in like it's like everything is short yeah. and everything is. And, and besides that, it's like, you know, a quick speed out, you know, you get an off corner, you throw a speed out, whatever, everyone can do that. You know, ru- you know, because of the way the Rams like to play with all those tight condensed formations, you get a lot of picks and rubs and then Cooper cup is running wide open over the middle of the field and you can just dump it off to him. So what I did was I looked at where the routes were run on these type of plays and then compared them to, where the targets were, like where the actual, you know, Goff and Stafford threw the ball. And it's crazy. You you can like literally overlay Goff's targets and routes and you you, you don't see a difference. Like wherever the target, wherever the routes are being run, that's where he's throwing the football, you know, for the most part. And with Stafford, it's like, yeah, the, the, the range of routes is, is varied. There's a little more... Um, you know, they're above average in a lot more other places on the field. But still, when you look at his targets, it's deeper. It's in places that you wouldn't expect based on the route distribution because he's trying stuff. Yeah, He's trying so yeah. much different things. And I think that's why McVeigh is and, and everyone is super excited about it. Again, is he a top five quarterback? No, probably not. But even if he is that 13th best quarterback, with McVay now being yeah. able to open up his offense so much more on these important plays because you are going to be in situations where you're going to have to drop back and throw the football. Like, remember, like, all these games. I'm thinking about the Bucks game I, I, two years ago. Maybe they opened the season against the Bucks and he threw the ball, like, got through the ball, like, 78 times. You know, there's other, there's these few games throughout the years where he's had, the Goff has had to be a quarterback and he hasn't been able to pull it off. So I think now with Stafford, you're getting a guy that McVay can just be like, okay, I don't have to just run these quick routes where I don't, I don't, I can like, I can actually trust my quarterback to throw a deeper route, to throw something else down yeah. the field, and I don't have to rely on the play action, and I don't have to rely on everything else. I don't have to be perfect in my play calling. I can just get a quarterback who's going to, going to like take some load off my shoulders. There's, so I there's... think that's that's why people are are excited about the situation. Yeah. But I think we have to realize that the situation does not is not the same as like ranking the individual quarterback as a top five player. There's definitely reason to be excited about him in that offense. And actually, I'm almost, in fact, I'm significantly more excited at the prospect of like what 
Stafford can do for that offense than I am with what that offense can do with Stafford. Now, you didn't love the last one, but check this out, right? What the combination of Stafford and McVay's offense really could be producing this monster number in terms of quarterback, could be producing one of the top fantasy quarterbacks in the NFL next season. And if you like fantasy football and you like playing for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Now, come on. That's that's a 10. That's again, like right? 12 on 10. 12. Perfect. No, you, there you, we go. You, you one-upped yourself. It's All right. Just, you know, sometimes, you get, sometimes it gets teed up and you get the perfect transition. That's all I'm saying. This is, what, this is exactly the point I was making earlier, right? When when things go badly, I don't have the transition. I don't have plan B. But when it's when it's in sync, when it's working fine, I can you know ding one right out of the park. It's perfect. Um, I, I'm curious, though, sticking with this McVeigh thing for a while because I – I've sort of, what do you think has gone wrong with that offense over the last couple of years? And do you think that Stafford, with those extra tools that he brings, with the extra clubs in his bag that Goff doesn't have, can that go all the way to like offsetting what's gone wrong, right? I've been kind of, it doesn't feel like McVay has done a great job of evolving that offense. Like once teams started to figure out where the weak points are, once teams started to figure out what to attack, to at least slow it down and then figure out, you know, if you can win. It doesn't, fi- it doesn't feel like he's, he's been able to go to version 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 and keep going the way that, you know, Kyle Shanahan, say, has. Um, and Andy Reid, obviously, with Mahomes. But how much of that is because Jared Goff is this giant millstone around his neck that he eventually got sick of? And, like, does Matthew Stafford change all of that? Does he, like... Does he allow him to open everything back up and suddenly boy genius rolls back in there and the Rams offense is going to be unstoppable again? I think it's both. You know, like I I obviously Goff is just not going to be that quarterback that we thought he might be after the Super Bowl run. And then with the McVay stuff, I do think it's interesting, like, you know the scheme and stuff and like evolution of scheme it, this stuff never happens in a vacuum right so it was perfect for him to 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 come into the league to a certain degree um running that outside zone scheme all the bootlegs off of it because the league was in such a one high state because we went from you know i guess like this is a little before my time but like the tampa two era into and it's and it, and it happened kind of inadvertently with the Seahawks and the Legion of Boom. Yeah. From what I understand, like they when when Pete Carroll went to to Seattle from USC, there the plan wasn't just to be like, okay, we're just gonna run cover three like every snap. Like, but it's just one of those things where you 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 know you find players on the roster and then obviously the drafting they wound up with just, just the perfect these, just wound up for with a perfect you know, set of specimens to yeah. run cover three, cover one, every play from a one high look. And then they win. And what, what does winning do? It 
it, people copy you. Yeah. Either they copy you just from watching you on film or they copy you because they take your coaches. So the league becomes this like one high thing. So the play action off that wide zone becomes so incredibly hard to defend because you end up with only one safety and a lot of underneath linebackers. So with the, with the linebackers, you're asking them to get to a spot that is wide because I mean, it's literally called wide zone and you're asking them then to, okay, well it's a play action. So now I got to get back across. Like you're asking them to move horizontally, which is so hard Yeah, and, and find the ball and find a receiver and turn their back and find do all that stuff. And then with the safety, you're asking them to with only one safety in the middle of the field, who am I going to defend? Do I defend the post route that's coming over my head, or do I do I do I clamp down? Do I nail down on this crosser? So it's just really tough to defend from the structures that the NFL was running, um, you know, between 2010 and 2020. Let's say. Now we're seeing teams say, "Okay, well, wait a minute, um, we don't want to do that anymore. Like it's done. That, that era is done. And there's there's always a spot for it, obviously." Um, but that as a base defense is, is I think we're getting to the end of that. Um, you know, there's still our holdouts. We're going to see what Gus Bradley does in, in Oakland this year because he is as heavy as a, in, that, in that same structure, obviously coming from the Seahawks, that, that, than anyone is when he was with Sandy, uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers, uh, the past few years. But so we'll see, we'll see what that happens. But I think, you know, we've seen it with Fangio and his his branch now, you know, Brandon Staley and, and Sean Desai and some other guys, you know, we'll see what, what I, f- I forgot his name, Barry, I think in, in, in green Bay, the defensive coordinator who spent a season with Staley. So maybe even they'll be running that type of stuff. So with two high safeties, you're able to, to allocate more resources to the play action game. Right. I mean, just in general, you're able to allocate more resources to the pass game. So that's kind of giving some issues and one of the things that I found, like, you know, last year I wrote an article about it was, like, teams can stop the run from too high. Yeah. Like, teams are so afraid. They want to spin that second safety into the box to stop the run. But it's like, you know, you're not really losing that much. Like, yes, there are things you have to do, you know, technique-wise, schematically-wise to adjust for the fact that you don't have the second safety in the box. But it still works. Like, like people are so afraid of it, but it's like, and yeah, like you don't have the numbers advantage that you're used to, but it, you're still stopping the run because it's hard to run the football. Yeah. And part like, of it is it's because just hard to run the football. Part of it is because NFL offenses in 2021 aren't built the way they were in like 2003. Right. So stopping the run is no longer having to contend with Lorenzo Neal and Mike Allstott in the hole. Right. You're not having to, to shut down almost 600 pounds of like of a train coming up the middle like you're dealing with just a running back you just need to fill the gaps and then take down a running back that's like 210 pounds it isn't the same prospect that it used to be where if you didn't have like a strong safety that could actually deal with that you were going to get run the hell over and those guys would like rack off 15 yard gains just because they outweighed you by 50 pounds and like when you look at like defensive line and defensive line technique, I know we always talk about what Belichick did when he got the job in New England and he was like able to go and find like everyone was playing, I guess, a four down. I don't remember the story exactly, but everyone was running like a four down, you know, kind of like the 
what everyone runs, like an over and under front, whatever. And then he's able to go and find these these hidden value gems to run a three four. Right. And like within that three four, you you talk about like these nose tackles and these big defensive ends who are like playing inside, able to control defensive linemen. I uh, sorry, able to control offensive linemen. Just like hold them up and like yeah. look for the play and whatever, make a play. And I think what you see now, so that's like what we'd call like two gapping. Yeah. Right. Like being able to either like put your body in one gap, but actually play another gap or, or just literally hold be in between two gaps and like play both of them. And what's changed is, and like you said, and because there's no more these huge fullbacks on the field and, and these huge monster guards on the field, what's happened is teams are still playing there as we go back to a three, four look, which I think is happening um, that coincides with the rise of two high safeties and sometimes three high safeties. Um, what's happening is defensive linemen are getting smaller. We're still playing a two-gap system, but it's like teams, just, some people call it, like Brandon Staley calls it a gap and a half. Yeah. So it's like it, you're, you're, you're not just like there and like being a big boy and holding up a, a, a lineman. Like you have two gaps, but it's based on the play based on the block that you're getting rather than just being like, Hey, I'm going to hold this guy up and then I'll go make a play. Um, you know, the Rams, obviously a great example of that. Oh, you know, as a big LSU fan, Dave Aranda, when he was there was, was doing that type this of stuff. This is uh, this is what, this is what Pat Williams used to do. I think just freelancing for the Vikings way back in the day, like Pat Williams used to essentially two gap, even though it wasn't his responsibility, he would <laughs> yeah. just, he would take one gap and then he would just play the second one when he could because he was able to toss around the dude trying yeah. to block him. And now it's like, no, we, we don't have those type of players because we've had to get smaller. Your right. defense have had to get smaller in response to the offense putting out so many slot receivers and stuff. So like, we're still like, everything is kind of changed in a sense that we're not as, we're not like being as like physical, I guess. Physical is probably not the right word, but we're trying to do it in like craftier ways and like, you know, controlling a few gaps with less people in, in craftier ways. And we're still getting the job done against the run again, like going back to this, what I started talking about, it's like, even though we're doing all these interesting stuff to make up for the fact that we don't have another safety in the box, we're still able to get the job done. You know, NFL defenses are still able to get the job done. And honestly, like my thing with running the football is like, I love the running game. I think it's fascinating to look at as like a puzzle and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like you're putting a lot of bodies next to each other. And eventually someone's going to make, someone's going to going to bust. Someone's going to make a good play. And, and that's why, that's why I think it's hard to run the football. It's like, you're putting a lot of bodies next to each other so anyways yeah that that getting back to mcveigh which is like that everyone started doing his thing it's not really his thing but everyone started running that outside zone wide zone offense um you know shanahan and him coming off the you know kyle shanahan and sean mcveigh coming off the mike shanahan yeah. uh kind of tree and you know kubiak still getting jobs and running that offense in 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 um, minnesota in Minnesota and then Stefanski coming from that and going to going to the Browns, stuff like that. So everyone's like, Hey, wait a minute. Like we can deal with this offense in better ways playing from a too high safety structure because we can still stop the run, but now the play action game, which is really what's killing us. Like the, the running game. It's funny. You go look at like, you know, we can do this because we have this all charted, but like, if you go look at when 
you know, the Browns or the Rams or the, the, the Vikings or the 49ers or the Titans run outside zone, their like efficiency on those plays is in the negative. But when they call play action off that, the, yeah. that's concept, it's plus, you know, a million, right? They're just killing teams off of that. So teams are realizing like, hey, wait a minute. The run is not killing us. It's all the action off the run that's that's doing damage. So going to a too high safety structure is giving these type of teams a little, little more issues. And then you multiply that by the quarterback they had there with the Rams, and and it and it leads to them being a pretty bad offense last year. And like man, he went to John Wolford last year in the playoffs or like the end of the season. Because he was like, dude, I need something else here. Yeah, I need a guy who can make plays with his legs. And I honestly, I believe that he he started drawing up those like quarterback design runs that he could do with Walford that he couldn't do with Goff. And he was like, this is the future that I need if if I don't have an elite quarterback. Now, obviously, he can go and trade for an elite quarterback. Well, elite. I mean, we just had this discussion, but trade for a better quarterback and and live in and li- kind of live in the same world that he was in with Goff, but just be better at it. I dude, think. John John Walford has like, talk about just such a bad break. That dude was legitimately <laughs> going to get a shot to win that starting job in the playoffs and goes down hurt after like 15 plays or whatever it is. Jared Goff comes in, like then case closed. But like, I mean, it didn't quite work out this way for Taylor Heineke, but same kind of thing, right? That dude comes in, plays incredibly and at the very minimum, he's going to get a shot at some point this year, right? They're going to they're gonna bench Fitzpatrick at some point and throw Heineke out there and see how he well, does, and he'll have a shot. Walford, Walford could have won that job in the space of a couple of games, and injury took it away from him. That sucks for him. And, and I do wonder if that, if in, excuse me, in that timeline, if that happens where Walford gets – maybe even before the play, like it would have been just like one or two games, but let's say he had gotten like three, four games before that, for whatever reason, in this alternate timeline, do they even feel like, and he plays okay. Do they even feel the need to go and get Stafford because they have this guy that, that I think I really believe, you know, McVay looks at and says, I can design an offense, a modern offense. Yeah. I can use a quarterback in the run game and, and we'll get it done. Um, and then they don't go again. They don't go out and trade for Stafford, which is but like, at the end of the day, it's probably a better move than, than having John Wolford as a quarterback. Um, but yeah, he was a good quarterback at Wake Forest. Like he's he's a baller. Yeah. But I think obviously Stafford probably even in this alternate timeline is still probably better. But yeah, I think like McVay realized that he couldn't keep running this offense, but he didn't have a choice because right. of the quarterback he had. So you have to throw these, like I said before, these like non, these like straight dropbacks. He had to just all call these like follow slants and pick rubs and speed outs because he can't can do anything else. He had to rely on the play action where he's like, okay, well now I can do so much more things with with Stafford or I can do so much more things in the running game with Walford. Like he was already leaning towards getting away from what he was doing. And I think you'll see that this year. Um, I hope they don't go away from all the play action, but I, I would imagine that you'll see a lot less play action um, this year than you have. In it's the it's other a big phase. year for McVay to show that he's got that 
that step that he has this extra layer of the offense that he wasn't able to show the last couple of years, which is why it got it started falling behind NFL defenses. And now with a quarterback that in theory can do all this stuff, we can put it all back in there and I'm going to leapfrog and be ahead of the game again the way you know Kyle Shanahan is. There's one more offense that I think is is interesting to talk about, and it's the Arizona Cardinals, right? Because Kingsbury comes in right away, we're like what he's He's planning on running like full air raid in the NFL. Like we're going to see this insane, the most college of college offenses. We're going to see what that looks like in the NFL. It's going to be all 10 personnel. It's going to be four wide receivers. It's going to be, look crazy. And then that lasted about four or five weeks. And he realized very quickly that like, all right, there are, like, there are elements of this offense that are going to stay, but the offense can't work the way it worked in the Big 12 in the NFL. And he's facing the same kind of thing, which is, you know, I've seen reports that like, you know, Kyla Murray has finally mastered this offense and blah, blah. It's like, I mean, forget Kyla Murray. Like, has Kingsbury even mastered this offense yet? Because like that guy's still finding his way in terms of what this looks like in the NFL. Like this isn't, it's not an air raid offense anymore. It is like an NFL air raid. It is whatever like hybrid of the two have come together and like, as he finished evolving this system to what it's going to be, and you know, somebody brought up on Twitter when I was asking for questions, they they mentioned this idea of, you know, they the Cardinals don't move their receivers around, which pretty much every other offense in the NFL does now. You know, you move guys around to get them favorable matchups and blah blah. blah. New Compkins plays left wide receiver, stays there all game long, and you know, his you look at his route distribution like he just doesn't move um and you think well that's just leaving meat on the bone why would you do that but obviously the reason they do it is because they think they can move quicker and, and tempo when receivers don't have to think about where they need to be and they don't need to spend time running from one side of the field to the other between plays to to move from one thing to the next they can just everybody knows where they're going to be every single play and they can just go 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 so i guess two parts one like is that worth it? Like, are they are they playing the right side of that? And two, where do you see this offense going? And like, is it actually going to be this big success? So I have a lot of thoughts on the air raid because so like I, I when I started coaching football, let's say like 2010 or whatever, we were in the midst of everyone wanting to run four, like you said, 10 personnel, four wide receivers, like at every level, high school, yeah. college, it hadn't gone to the, hadn't gotten to the NFL yet. Totally. Um, especially as a base offense. Right. But that's what everyone in high school was doing is what everyone in college was doing. It was like four wide receivers, you're in two by two or you're in three by one, you're throwing bubble screens to like deal with like the apex defenders and all that stuff. And now when I look at it as it's, finally kind of come to the nfl with with kingsbury i'm like it it's just it's not modern anymore it's just like it's a dead it's to a certain degree a, like a kind of a dead offense as your base thing that you do because man these these kids who played high school football and then college football they've just seen it so much they understand how to deal with bubble screens and especially bubble screens to Larry Fitzgerald because you can't move in, you don't move anybody else around, right? Like he's your slot receiver on the right or whatever it is. So if you're going to run a bubble screen to the right, well, it's Larry Fitzgerald. And also, and Larry like, Fitzgerald you know, is like 52 years old. So God, that's, yeah. That's also, like, God bless Larry Fitzgerald, but you know, you're not scared of that anymore the way you might have been 15 <laughs> yeah. years ago. So, like, you know, it just seems to me 
like an offense that is a little outdated and it's kind of why you said like he's had to change and he does some really good stuff when he brings in tight ends and even though his tight end is like Dan Arnold who's like basically a receiver on most plays but like he does some really good things when he first of all the running game is super super nice like he does some crazy stuff in the run game and it helps obviously having like a, a running quarterback there but he does some really good play actions off of heavier personnel sets, which is something you just can't do. What ends up happening is when you're in like a five wide type of scenario, every play, you can't protect for very long. Like there's not so many, and you're like, you know, you have like one back, but the back is being released all the time. Like how many different types of protections can you have? You, you just can't have a lot of protections. What, what that ends up doing is you end up throwing the ball short. And defenses have gotten so good at, like, getting pressure without blitz. Well, okay, not without blitzing. I shouldn't say that. Getting pressure with only sending four, but it's a blitz. So it's like, a you know, we call it like a sim pressure or a creeper pressure or something like that. Where, like, hey, we're sending, like, the SAM or the nickel, but we're dropping, you know, it's a a classic way, but we're dropping, like, the backside end off. So, like, yeah, we're still only sending four guys. But we've created a situation where, you know, you might have set your protection to one side and we're actually coming from the other side and we can get a free rush. So, like, you just can't – you can't hold up the ball and create these explosive plays. Again, going back to that's how we win football games is creating explosive plays. So, yeah, he's had to adjust a bit. You just can't – and and de- defenders, you know, yes, A, they've seen this type of offense for years and years and years in their life because this is what everyone did when they were playing high school and, and, and college football. And then the other thing is like, it, it reminds me of the Chip Kelly stuff from when he was with the Eagles, where it's like, Hey, if you, they know what you're doing. Yeah. Like if you don't move guys around, if you don't do that, like they, they're, they're too freaking smart, like on defense, like their whole job is now like you get away with this in college because they're just not at that level, in, you know, in terms of like their their football intelligence to be like, oh, I know what's coming because I've seen it on tape and you and you ran it to play before you ran it like last, you know, last week or whatever. Um, they do that in the NFL. So if you're not like creating these um, issues in terms of motion, in terms of formations, like they're going to catch on to you like they did with Chip Kelly. And like, you know, I remember there was an article that came out. Uh, during the Chip Kelly, like the end of the Chip Kelly year in Philly, where it was like, they were like, yeah, they're calling out our plays every snap because we just don't have a lot. It's like when the back is lined up, you know, you know, you know, offset, then they're running this. And when the back is lined up next to the quarterback, well, they're running this. Like, so like, I think there's a lot of that with the Kingsbury offense. And again, it's just, it just feels like an offense that is just not modern anymore. And it's crazy to think that way because you look at it and you see a spread and you see five wide receivers, you see four wide receivers and they're doing all that stuff. And it's like, it takes me a second to be like, oh, wait a minute, this offense that I grew up with, you know, coaching wise, it's just not, it's just not modern anymore. And when you look at college football, man, Larry Fedora in at Baylor last year, you know, the, you know, the, you know, Baylor hires Dave Aranda. He brings in Larry Fedora as his offense coordinator, air raid guy one year. They were awful last year on offense. He's out already one year. They bring in the BYU offensive coordinator. <laughs> Mississippi state, Michael Leach, the air raid guy, like mm. the, the guy who's running true, true air raid. Um, because like, 
you know, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma is not really running like true, the true air raid anymore. It, it's been adapted so much. Mike Leach, their offense is like the one of the worst offenses you've ever seen in your entire life. Uh, and certainly personnel and offensive line play has a lot to do with that, but they were like horrible last year. I will say like Nevada under under Matt Mummy was very good running running true air raid stuff too. But it's like when you look at these colleges, they're not doing that anymore. They're coming back with an H-back. They're coming back with protecting with seven guys. They're coming back with protecting with seven and throwing deep shots. And you're seeing all these college offenses. I'm going to write an article about it next week, but it's like what I call, or I think someone else might have coined this before me, but what's, what some of us are calling the super spreader offense, where you're like not even asking your quarterback to do that much. You're putting receivers, they're literally lined up on the sideline. They're like talking to the opposing team's coaches. They can smell their breath. That's how close they are to the sideline. Your running back is a pass protector, basically, when he's not being handed the football. Your tight end or H-back is a sixth offensive lineman masquerading as a tight end. He's not going out for a pass. You're running these three-man, sometimes two-man concepts vertical option routes if you can get on top of the guy you keep running if he's too far off you stop and we'll throw you a hitch at like eight yards or 10 yards or whatever like just like that's what offense is now that's the modern offense being super being being like you know air raid you know for widespread it's just not a thing anymore like i don't even know what to say it's just like not a thing anymore so he's gonna have to adapt and like the thing that we're not talking about is also like who how good is kyler murray yeah I, I don't know. I think you know? one of the one of the biggest issues with that is the NFL in particular is too good, and you know the SEC and stuff as well. But like the highest levels are, you, you can't run an offense anymore that is predicated off. We'll just take what the defense is going to give us because the defense isn't going to give you enough to have a good offense yeah. anymore. They're too good. And, and that, They're too smart. That was they've seen everything. It's not going to work. So you need an offense that at the very minimum challenges defenses enough that it causes some breakdowns and some big plays and you know confuses them because if you just let them you can't out execute the defense anymore because they're just too good at it like you could run you know the true airway air raid up in the pack 12 with washington and run a million slants all day and you know when they take away the slant run to go to something else you can't do that in the nfl they're too good you don't you don't have enough efficiency to be able to get that functional in the NFL to the point where you can survive. And I think that is what this is. So this idea of, you know, we uh, eschew the idea of moving a receiver around because we can run quickly. It doesn't matter. It's not good enough, right? The moving around a receiver is way more important than having that extra little bit of tempo because the defense just isn't affected by that enough. Yeah, and, and the funny thing with talking about the Pac-12 when when Malik was at Washington State, it's like Washington State. I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to like like shit on like the Pac-12 defensive coordinators or anything, but like when he would go and play Washington in the Apple Cup, all they would do was rush three and drop eight in zone. Right, and they couldn't do anything. And this is this is like four years in a row they would do this as their game plan. Could do anything, and then he would start the season again and and. These Pac-12 defenses and, and out of conference games, and they would rush four, and they would give him space, you know, and and they would play zone because not a lot of teams can play can play man in college, and they would give him all his quarterback space to find these routes, or they would blitz with five. I remember like Arizona a couple of years ago would blitz with five, and and he would just, you know, I think it was Gordon at that time, which is like pick them apart, or Luke Falk, whatever. 
And it's like, well, why aren't you guys just like looking up? Like you guys, you, you, all you guys in the Pac-12 of PFF Ultimate, man. Like just like <laughs> I do, like, like go look up what's giving, what's giving, uh, you know, the, the air raid uh, problems. And then he goes to the SEC, and game one it still kills me. Game one, Bo Pelini and LSU are playing man coverage and blitzing, and they're getting picked apart because he's like, yeah, that's what the offense is designed for. Like we can do this all day, mesh all day, no problem. After that game. I don't remember who they had after that. I think it might have been Arkansas. Arkansas dropped eight, 97% of the time. And for the rest of the season, that's all teams did against Mike Leach. And it was one of the most horrific offenses you've seen. And it's like, now in the NFL, there there is no like Pac-12 defensive coordinator. Again, like these are these are potentially very good coaches. I don't want to like, like, like talk down to them so much, but it's like <laughs> NFL, they're good, man. Like yeah. you can't, they're going to figure out your, your issues, uh, you know, your weaknesses with the offense and they're going to exploit them. And I think we're kind of seeing that um, just kind of, again, it's like kind of by default, like you're saying, they're just, defenses are just good enough. Like, like the bubble screen stuff. Like, yeah, bubble screens worked like 10 years ago when Sam linebacker, the nickel linebacker, hadn't really seen it before and they couldn't really run and you well, still yeah, had not Sam just, on the field. Yeah, not just hadn't seen it before, but were like 260 pounds and couldn't move. Right. And now it's like all these guys playing nickel. First of all, there is no more Sam in the NFL yeah. unless you're the Seahawks. And like, so the nickel is a DB and he can chase either direction horizontally. Like he's right. a good player. And like, even if it is a players. linebacker, the linebacker's 220 pounds and can run with him. So it's like it's like the linebacker covering Larry Fitzgerald is more athletic than Larry Fitzgerald is when he's 182 years old and can't move anymore. Yeah. So it just doesn't function. Now, I think like you might get some more mileage out of it now that it's Rondell Moore instead of Larry Fitzgerald. I'm, I'm but you're right. Like that, fundamentally, yeah. the thing just isn't as effective as it used to be. Um, yeah, and, and I think so. There has to be some issues, and I'm curious your thoughts on on the quarterback, though. Well, that's I the just thing. Don't it's know. like it's now, it's it's all tied up together, right? Like we're trying to work out is Kyla Murray, you know, as good as we thought he was coming out, which is the same question we had with Baker Mayfield, and but it's all tied into like, does this Kingsbury offense or is this Kingsbury offense going to be effective enough for us to even know if Kyla Murray? can be the guy we thought he was going to be because if it has the same problems to a you know slightly less degree than like the Mike Leach offense the true air raid it's just a system that is no longer effective enough at the NFL level then automatically it means you're not going to get a fair enough read on what the quarterback can do because he's running something that isn't working like he's banging his head against a brick wall trying to get this thing to work it, when he's just behind the eight ball, like he's just dealing with a system that isn't setting him up for success anymore. And this is what Baker Mayfield was dealing with when he was running the Freddie Kitchens offense. And it's like, look, that, that offense isn't working. So the quarterback doesn't look good. It doesn't mean the quarterback is worse than we thought he was. It's just he has no shot right now. And this is also what I think is going to happen to Daniel Jones this year in New York, albeit for a slightly different reason. Like, the offensive line is just not good enough for Daniel Jones to look good this year, right? So this is rendering this make-or-break year, and it's like, is Daniel Jones good enough to elevate the Giants to where we need to go? Daniel Jones has no freaking shot this year because he's got five Stooges standing in front of him as his offensive line, and this is a guy that doesn't react particularly well like to a muddy pocket or to an offensive line that's breaking down, yeah. right? So all this, like, will he, won't he, Daniel Jones be good this year? He won't, but it's not his fault. Like, Daniel Jones could easily go somewhere else next year because the Giants cut bait 
and look good right out of the box because he suddenly got a system that's viable and an offensive line that can protect him. Yeah, it, it's tough when you're dealing with these like quarterback evaluation systems and you have to factor in like, okay, before we do anything in terms of deciding is this guy good, you need to decide right away, like is this even a control that we can work with? Or is the answer already no because the system or the supporting cast is not good enough for you to get a good enough answer? And, and, I, and I see this all the time watching college football quarterbacks. It's right. like these, and, and it's, it goes back into like that super spreader scheme when I'm talking about where, you know, a, a good example might be like Dylan Gabriel at Central Florida, who's being talked about in the draft. And he's got a, he's got a nice cannon and, a, and, a, and, and he, you know, he can move around a bit and stuff like that. But his box score stats and even the PFF grade kind of are inflated because of the offense right like that's just like he doesn't there's no opportunity to create a negative play in that offense because you're never throwing the ball to a place where you can create a negative play like if you only throw vertical sideline routes what 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 defender other than the corner right. can make a play like on where's the, ball? the mistake and those and corners don't like don't um get picks on like on on nine balls right they're not right. like turning their shoulder and they're catching like that's so hard to do it's safeties coming over it's linebackers coming underneath plays like that's how you get that's how you get picks and stuff in and in, in football so it's like you are can inflate a guy just because you're running an offense where all you're doing is throwing right. bombs down I mean, the field yeah. like you're not going to have a lot of interceptions because like there's nothing to be thrown there's like well, impossible to throw an interception it's one of the biggest, yeah, it's one of the biggest elements in like ev evaluating college quarterbacks. It's why we can screw up on Justin Herbert or why you're not sure on Patrick Mahomes and all these things because it, it works both ways, right? You're going to have quarterbacks yeah. like that where they're massively inflated and they're set up to look great. And now it's, well, what happens when that doesn't happen? And this is part of the Zach Wilson thing, right? It's like Zach Wilson Don't was set up started, man. to Don't look phenomenal last year, but... What happens when that isn't the case anymore, which is what we're going to find out this year? And then the reverse, right? Josh Allen at Wyoming or Daniel Jones um, at Duke. It's like, well, the supporting cast is garbage. The offense isn't great. Like, if if this was the NFL, we would be looking at that the same as the Kyler Murray thing, which is, I don't know if this offense is good enough or if the things around him are good enough for us to get a fair evaluation of this guy. But when it's when it's draft quarterbacks, like, that's all you got. This is the This is the thing, right? This is what's on tape. Now you need to figure out how much of it is him, how much of it is the system, how much of it is the supporting cast, and try and isolate the quarterback from those things and project him into something else, which is stupidly hard to do. It's almost impossible, which is, again, why as much as you know, PFF has added a layer of data to all this, but it's why the same thing is true, that quarterback evaluation is still a freaking nightmare because as much as you want to, you can't 100% isolate the quarterback from the things around him. There's no way of stripping out the things that impact the quarterback. And I think you can get you get you do get a better job of it done in the NFL where there's more of a homogenous nature yeah. to scheme. Uh to scheme. But of course, like you said, like with the Giants, it's like, well, if you play behind like whatever they got they're playing behind Daniel Jones is playing behind, like that's gonna be a problem too. Um, and with the, with college, like the the vastness of the different types of schemes are crazy. Yeah. So you it's very hard to evaluate um, quarterbacks like that. Uh, they're all coming from 
such tremendously different types of offenses. And, and Daniel Jones is a great example. Uh, here's another offense that's probably outdated is, is David Cutcliffe's Duke offense, like running, like it's not, it's, he, you know, he's quarterback whisperer. I get it. But like, it just feels like a little outdated to go empty every play. Like, I'm sorry. It's just a little outdated to go empty every play in college football when you don't have Joe Burrow, basically. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, I think there's, and so we didn't, so that's why I think for a lot of us, Daniel Jones has kind of turned out to be, I'm not saying he's an elite player, but he's definitely been better than I think a lot of us thought he was going to be. 100%. Um, like, I, 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 I don't want to speak for you, but I can assume you didn't think he was he was good enough to be the 15th pick or whatever. Six. Know, he went he six. He went six? Yeah. <laughs> six went, overall. Oh, I'm thinking about Haskins. I'm thinking about Haskins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't think anyone thought he was going to be the six overall pick and he hasn't, and he certainly hasn't played like a six overall pick, but I think still better than yeah. I think a lot of people, um, would have thought. Definitely. Like he, yeah. I mean, he's, I'm like at the other end of the scale than I was pre-draft with Daniel Jones, which is pre-draft. I was lower on him than most people. And now I'm busy writing about how he's underrated and actually better than people are giving him credit for only again. Like, you're probably not going to see that this year because I don't think the offensive line is going to give him any shot to look good. So even though they've added Kenny Galladay and they've got good receiving weapons, I just don't think he has the platform to actually be any good in 2021. And I'm not a not a huge fan of what Jason Garrett did last year. Obviously, they can evolve and, and, and be better, but I didn't... Again, and it, and it was kind of like the same thing at Duke where you're running all this empty stuff and one of the problems with Daniel, when you're going to go empty and run quick game, which is what Jason Garrett has done his whole life coming from West Coast offense, you know, he's kind of an older coordinator. So that's, this is what he knows. It's like, yeah, all that stuff looks great when Sean Payton and Drew Brees do it together. But when Daniel Jones is in there and he's not as accurate as Drew Brees, it's like, what is the point of of throwing all these slants and quick game, blah, blah, blah. If he's going to put it behind receivers all the time, you're not gaining that, 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 that you're not maximizing what you're doing there. Like Drew Brees has been able to do his whole life because he's super accurate and he's not making mistakes. There's no payoff. There's not enough payoff to all the quick game that the giants are running because Jones is just not good enough. Now, maybe he will be eventually, maybe, you know, a few more years in the league, he'll figure it out. Um, Whereas with Breeze, it's like, yeah, there is payoff for it because we're never wrong. Like, there's no negative plays. We don't take sacks. We get the ball off. You know, we're always in the in a in a in a manageable down and distance for Drew Breeze. Like, you know, Breeze can be in like a third and four that most other quarterbacks can't be. But you're putting Daniel Jones in a position where he's going to probably be in those third and fours and stuff like that. And he just and it's tough for him because he's a young quarterback and he doesn't have the accuracy that Breeze has. So, yeah, like there's with him, it's 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 double because it's scheme and personnel. Like you said, the the receiving crew should be better this year for sure. But the offensive line is a problem. and, And Garrett, I think, is a problem. Seth, this was an awesome chat. Thanks for coming on. Steve, I believe, is back Monday. He is still digging up all baseball crap from Massachusetts for me to wear in. I think we set that date for the 29th. The 29th of July, I think it's two weeks today, is going to be Sam dressing up like minor league Steve baseball day. 
so I think that's our plan. But I think he's back on Monday, whether it's remote or in studio. I can't remember what his schedule is. Um, but Seth Galina, uh, host, co-host of the PFF College Football Podcast. You do that with Deontay Lee, right? Now, um, yeah. new, yeah, um, new full-timer we're PFF. Interview- yeah. Uh, we're interviewing um, Dustin Crum, the quarterback from Kent State, this afternoon. So I, I believe by the time you're listening to this, okay, you cool. will be able to listen to so uh, me interview. Uh, all of our uh, millions and millions of listeners, as Steve likes to say, go grab the PFF College Football Podcast to hear more. Seth and Deontay talk scheme, talk quarterbacks, talk college football. There's some really good stuff there. Um, we will be back, as I said, on Monday. Send us an email. Let you know. Let us know if you liked Seth or if you hated Seth. Let us know that too. Um, but also, you know, continue to give us ideas. Continue to give us um, charity ideas. We're still rolling with that stuff as well. NFL podcast at pff.com is the email. We read all of them, even if we don't reply to all of them. Um, we really appreciate the content you guys are giving us, the feedback you guys are giving us. Um, and just generally for you guys listening. So thanks for listening. We will talk to you again on Monday. Take it easy.